where I was having to add or record context to the data I was seeing. So if I didn't have a good night's sleep, let's say, or it took me a while to fall asleep, I thought about, okay, what did I do in that evening beforehand or the, the day beforehand to set that up? And I started to see some patterns in terms of if I would eat you know, close to going to bed, or if I, I would eat particular things, I think for me, it tended to be if something was like quite salty, uh, I would throw my hydration balance off. And right. then I would see a poor night's sleep. And these apps aren't necessarily providing you a space to do that right now, or kind of a cohesive platform to connect those dots. That was something that I had to do for myself in terms of like being quite diligent around those behaviors and connecting the data. So it is possible to do. And I imagine that's where the kind of software will go in the future. Um, I think it's just, again, that process of being like using the data to pay attention, I think, and looking at long-term trends um, rather than those individual values where, you know, there are lots of parameters. You wouldn't necessarily be able to connect one behavior to one set of data. It was only over a number of weeks or months that I was able to do that. Hello there and a very warm welcome or welcome back to the podcast. My name is Steve Ingham. I'm an applied scientist and leader from the world of high performance sport. And on the podcast, I explore all aspects of human performance, whether that is getting stronger, fitter, mentally more prepared, eating better, playing better, leading and coaching in different ways, but also how we perform in work individually and as teams. And the way I do that is by speaking with great scientists, practitioners, researchers, coaches, athletes and entrepreneurs. I'm also keen to talk to people from outside of sports, people who are just interested in how we perform as humans. If you enjoy the podcast, then please do share it with friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe. And if you want to support and champion us, then please do leave a review on iTunes. This week's guest is Dr. Sean Allen. Now, Sean is research manager at Lululemon Athletica, and Sean is a vastly experienced performance scientist, having worked at the English, Scottish and New Zealand Institute of Sports. Sean received her PhD in statistical modelling of sports performance from the Auckland University of Technology, whilst she was working with the British and New Zealand swimming teams. Sean also headed up the performance intelligence work for the New Zealand sports system, carving out data-informed insights about how, what, where, when and who New Zealand athletes could gain an advantage. She's now at Lululemon, an athletic apparel company that designs, distributes and retails athletic apparel and accessories. Beyond this, Sean has been creating some fascinating insights and sharing them on Twitter about wearable technology with a blend of data-driven observations about herself, research-based insights, and questions and ideas about how, as humans, we interact, benefit, potentially misuse, and get confused by the various devices that we purchase and stick on ourselves in an attempt to measure various variables. Sean shares her motivations for developing this content, the key insights she has gained, which monitoring devices she would use and has found to be the best to monitor sleep, heart rate and activity, as well as a look into the future about where technology is headed and whether with the advent of AI, we're going to be interacting with human support less or in certain areas, maybe more. 
I should also mention that Sean is our course tutor for the Supporting Champions Performance Analysis course. And if that's of interest to you, you'll get an idea of what Sean's all about. It's just a superb digest of 10 lessons running you through how to take a data-informed approach to improving athlete performance. And Sean shares a little bit in this discussion about her motivations for the course and how it's helping practitioners from all fields harness the power of data. Sean, great to see you. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thanks for having me, Steve. I'm very well. Excited to be here. Oh, it's it's been great over the last couple of years to reconnect with you, uh, chat to you, share ideas, and discuss um, opportunities with you. You're obviously one of our tutors on on our applied practitioner courses, so um, so that's just been amazing. Um, but I wanted to chat to you today. Uh, a little bit about wearables and you've just been creating a rich playlist of of hits on Twitter with your uh, latest content that's all themed around kind of understanding ourselves, embracing technology, wearables, presenting information with data. Um, Can I just start off by asking you kind of a little bit about what motivates what motivated you to to start publishing more and more information on social media yeah i think it stemmed from conversations that i'd had with with friends of mine who weren't necessarily fortunate enough to come from the sort of educational background that i had come from in terms of understanding maybe some of the the physiology the sports science behind some of these metrics and they were finding that they had a lot of data but they actually had more questions than they had answers in terms of they were trying to make decisions about their lives based on what their resting heart rate was, for example, or how they slept. And they were finding themselves almost more confused than anything. And I thought, oh, hang on a minute. This is really an area where I have a bit of a a leg up in terms of my background in sports science and physiology and working with athletes. Perhaps there's something I can do here to share my knowledge and experience and sort of help people move from that step of having a lot of knowledge or information and actually being able to translate it into action or or impact within their lives. Yeah, it's such an interesting one, isn't it? Because we sort of buy these devices and we stick them on and then we go and download the app or we look at the dashboard online and we just go, right, okay, what's that? (laughs) You're, You're presenting information to me, but I don't know what that is or whether it's useful and and I'm saying that as a scientist who then might have the the at least the track record of then going off and working that out but that's quite an interesting presentation from a lot of 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 data companies wearable companies that they just spew this data out and expect us to have a PhD in the area that that they're they have a device in Yeah, I often say the hardware is ahead of the software right now in terms of we have this amazing technology that can measure lots of things. But what we don't necessarily have that has improved at the same pace is the software to help us understand it. And it's effectively in our world in terms of sports science, what a coach or a sports scientist would be doing for you on an individualized level. So I think that's one of the next steps really in this world for the sort of software or educational side to catch up with the amount and the the um, streams of data that we actually 
have available, be that through technology itself and artificial intelligence, or perhaps more of a role for sports scientists and coaches, like more broadly outside of athletes looking at perhaps the general population. Yeah, that's an interesting fork in the road, maybe a fork in the road, or it's just options, or it might be a blended um, view of, of how we interpret. Um, I think we had a bit of a, a spike in, ooh, gosh, this is quite threatening when sort of the wave of AI started to sort of flood the, the internet over the last couple of months. And it sort of felt like, oh, are we under threat here? Or is this going to do our job for us? Or equally, how would I want to engage with information and advice and prescriptions and, and coaching? Would I want that to be robotic? or a robot doing that or would would i want to have a human working with me that that i have rapport with um if my experience from help chats on various platforms is anything to go by i just immediately type in i want to speak to a human and it and then it sort of triggers that so it's quite an interesting fork though isn't it that the, the prospect is live for us yeah, and there's actually some interesting research I've come across in that space whereby they've looked at conditions under which it, people may be more open to speaking to an AI or a robot. And that seems to be true in the case of like some aspects of therapy where there's a disclosure where humans are happier to share things about themselves, knowing that they may not be judged. Oh, okay. um, by yeah, in, in the case whereby like if it was a human, they might necessarily be forming an opinion of you. And so there are different parameters that might govern when each of these things might be useful. But more generally, I, I, th I, I would like to think the case would be that the future belongs to those who can perhaps learn how to harness the AI best to improve those human to human relationships rather than thinking that we might necessarily be replaced by AI altogether. Obviously, there are some facets of life or tasks where that would be beneficial. But in general, it's more about how might I be able to use this tool to help improve a relationship that I have with another human or with an athlete, for example, right. or automate some of those things that take me a lot of time so I can free up my time to focus on our communication, our relationship, those real personal human things. That, that, um, that, that research does ring true because if I just think I'm making a silly mistake here, <laughs> all right, we're not talking about relationship declarations or, you know, something I've done wrong in the past, but if I'm, if I'm engaging with a, a, a robotic chat online and, and I might think, I think I've just made a silly mistake, excuse my ignorance. And I, I'm, you know, lots of thanks in advance. <laughs> so that, that would be a good case use for me where I'm embarrassed about my technical ability and I would just need some help. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you think about a lot of people aren't necessarily happy disclosing symptom health symptoms that they're experiencing, even yeah. to a doctor when that, that doctor is there. That's exactly what they do. A lot of people kind of keep it to themselves until it's serious enough, or perhaps it's too late in some cases. So perhaps there are some really interesting use cases of AI where it removes those barriers for, for some people and actually helps us in the long term, kind of get closer to um, improving our health and performance and, and well-being. And so when you were talking to your friends about um, their experiences of engaging with wearables, the information that was coming out, what was the sort of process that you went through to, to be able to fuse your understanding of the sports science, as well as your ability to analyze and present data? 
what, what was your process of kind of starting to filter ideas that might be useful and how you would then go about presenting that? Yeah, I mean, I think when I was having conversations with friends, with with athletes, the first question I always have is, what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? Because that will necessarily determine, one, which device you want to use, two, which metrics you want to look at, and then three, the, the manner in which you, you want to look at them. And so those the answers are, are very different depending on if you want to optimize your performance for you know sprinting or endurance or whatever it is versus like you just want to be able to run around play with your kids feel like you have energy and so I think that's always a a starting point and then beyond that it sort of directs you to where you want to go the other thing that I really encourage people to do which was the process that I went through myself was to experiment with these devices and to, to use them as a tool to sort of understand yourself better And I often think that's almost perhaps the best use case of them right now to almost be able to draw your attention to how you're actually feeling in the moment. And if you are wearing a device, say, and you use the app and you check it every day, that moment when you check in is almost a nudge for you to do a bit of a body scan and think about, oh, how do I actually feel? And does it line up with what these numbers are telling me? If it does, then great. If it doesn't, then you start to ask yourself some questions of, oh, why why is it different? Is it because I did something that the app can't pick up on? Is it because it's telling me something that I haven't actually um, been able to, to focus on myself? Is it a new sensation? I need to kind of like spend a bit more time in, in that body scan. And so I find it um, useful from that perspective, almost helping you get to know yourself better rather than almost being overreactive to daily values or, or daily measures or even perhaps recommendations that, that they might give you. And so I always encourage people to think about it more from a, a longer term perspective of getting to know yourself to enable you to make decisions about yourself rather than being yeah reactive in the moment to specific values or, or recommendations. And so you made quite a few observations on yourself for quite a long period. Was it before you started to publish? Did you sort of have like a, a period of time where you're actually monitoring, reviewing, keeping an eye on the data bef- and sort of look, almost looking for the stories from which you could then draw some conclusions? Yeah. So one of the things I had done, which which wasn't intentional at the start, I always realized it when I look back, I had been wearing three different devices at the same time. How did that after go? It was happened that, to that... be over a period of, tw- of 12 months. Uh, at the time, I think people questioned why I was wearing at least two watches because it was the Apple Watch. the Same, the same band, arm, then, I presume. And the control. Aura Ring. Uh, the Aura Ring and the Whoop Band on the same arm, and then the Apple Watch was on the other arm. I didn't have okay. space on, <laughs> on, okay. on the one wrist. <laughs> just, just wrapping them up all up your Yeah, your so, and then if I would go for a run, I would wear a Garmin or something as well. So, I mean, if you're all – I just thought, let's let's go all in on Do you have a sleep, the, so, the sleep headband overnight and a portable ECG? I mean, sometimes, yes. Not every day, I would say. Um, but this this was one yeah this was one of the key points of interest for me to see like hey are these devices all telling me the same thing and if they're not which one should I trust if any of them and or why might there be differences between them is it because they're measuring things a different way do they have a different kind of proprietary algorithm and just wanting to be able to understand them so that when I was working with athletes or with people who were using them I would be able to understand the nuances of them and or recommend a certain one depending on what their goals were 
So those were really the things I was looking for throughout that process. And I guess some of my first steps were just to almost plot and visualize that data to start to look for these trends and also cross-reference what I was seeing in the numbers with some of my personal context and the, the information that I had about what was going on in my life in those days. And that was one of the reasons I did decide to do it on myself first, because I have all of that context about what I was doing versus trying to measure it on someone else and not necessarily having all of that nuanced information to really understand what was going on. And so that was the the process I took looking for, for trends where they were similar, where they were different, and then digging into if something didn't make sense, why why was it that that, that didn't make sense? Could I understand or figure out what was going on? And perhaps a good example there is there were certain days when I might do a few days of like weight training or high intensity interval type training. And then it would tell me like, oh, you haven't really, you haven't really done very much training. You're good to go. You're well recovered because a lot of the parameters it was measuring were based on heart rate and my heart rate hadn't necessarily been getting that high. And I was experiencing delayed onset muscle soreness, but that wasn't something that these devices could measure. So I woke up feeling awful, let's say, and they were telling me, oh, you feel great. And it was like, oh, hang on a minute. Like, this is an instance in which I perhaps shouldn't necessarily trust this because it's not measuring all of the parameters. And so it, it does, it's not giving me a complete picture. And could you give us a view as to what you found about the quality of the devices that you were looking at? Um, but, but I suppose with the caveat or disclaimer that, you know, do, do your individual observations about the validity or the reliability of some of these devices, do those match some of the reported bigger experimental controlled design studies that, that have looked and compared? Yeah, I mean, I should say I certainly wasn't running one of those studies, even though there are times at which I have compared these devices to what would be considered a, a gold standard device. Mm. I think typically what I would see from these devices in general is more variability than what you would see in in the lab. Um, if I was looking at many of the um, wrist-based devices for measure, you know, the the whoops, the the auras, the, those kinds of things, the Apple Watch, I did see myself that the Apple Watch was the best device or seemingly the most accurate for monitoring heart rate, which has been also shown to be true in the kind of peer-reviewed literature studies. Um, one of the things that I saw with devices that I perceived to be less accurate was greater variability. And so sometimes I could be doing like a really hard workout and it would say, oh, you're, you're barely doing anything or, you know, it's just it's just not picking up your heart rate. And I would see like that variability for me um, was was what stood out. And then with the sleep tracking devices, obviously you can sort of tell, you know, when you're awake versus not. And one of the things that's that's true for me or has been true with the way I sleep is I can be lying down trying to sleep. And it thinks I'm asleep because it's not detecting right. any movement. And what it's measuring, basically, it does, it's not measuring the right things to be able to know when you're awake or when you're asleep. And the best sleep tracker that I wore was one of those, those headbands that's measuring your brain activity. Right. And because it's able to measure your brain activity, it's able to receive the signals that will tell it, basically, if you're lying down and asleep or lying down and awake. So that device 
was much more accurate than the risk-based ones that are mainly measuring, you know, accelerometry data and heart rate data. So there's a good rationale behind that. And it really tallied with, with my experience and also what's been shown to be true in, in the literature as well. And how did you find it as a user experience? Because uh, I'm just going back to my my sort of first experience of working on a sort of sleep science, and we started to get interested in this. And I was a participant on in Charlie Pedler's PhD, looking at altitude, and we went down to the sleep labs in Surrey, and uh, and we spent three nights. First night was familiarisation, and the next two nights we were blind controlled, sleeping in tents in their sleep labs, one with hypoxia, one not. And they were the worst three nights sleep of my life, uh, by far. <laughs> Just polysomnography, all wired up, um, about, about 20 leads on your head, and then one under your lip, and then one under your nose, one under your ear, uh, or if your jaw, one in your leg. And if you, if you scratched, if you moved one arm, it would pull on one lead and, and pull your leg and, it was awful. So, I mean, that, that just shows how far we've come and, yeah. and how, how user friendly these are now. But, but then that headband sounds like it's another sort of step back towards searching for that validity, but perhaps asking people to, I guess, look a, just a little, a little bit extra in their, um, what they're wearing at night. Yeah, absolutely. I would say there was a, a bit of uh, friction at the beginning in terms of me getting used to wearing a new kind of device right. on my on my head. And um, uh, now I wear an eye mask and I would say it's not too dissimilar to that. I, it certainly took me a few days to get used mm -hmm. to it. But then again, you know, and people have said this to me, you are very committed to these experiments. So that's probably not true for everyone. <laughs> so I think I, I sort of maybe a, a specific use case there, but they certainly are much more comfortable and much easier to wear than the the polysomnography experiments that that you described. Um, and then again, I know people who struggle to wear things on their wrist when they sleep because they find them too bulky or too uncomfortable. So I think there is certainly a, a personal preference there, and probably a period of like taking five to seven days to get used to it to see if it's for you that kind of thing. Yeah, you've got to you've got to put up with some sleep deprivation by get to accustomed to the device to actually get the the full relaxed normal sleep um and and i suppose little things like heat of summer um people don't want to wear a, uh, a ring for example because their their hands are a bit more swollen or a bit more uncomfortable so again that gets thrown on the floor so these are these are yeah. small little ob observations about day to day that that uh, that limit the collection of information yeah, absolutely. And I think you touched on it a little bit earlier when we were we were talking about, um, you know, what individual goals are and what people are trying to learn about themselves. There's also the side of it in terms of what are your constraints or what are you prepared to give up or not give up to get the information that you want? And there are diff the, the nice thing is not one of these devices probably does everything, but there are different devices depending on your different needs. So now there are things like Eight Sleep, for example, which is just a mattress that you're not wearing anything on your body, but it will enable you to measure these parameters as well. And there are things you can get for your phone that will enable you to do it if you prefer to have something off the body. If you prefer to have something, you know, without Bluetooth or Wi-Fi attached, there are those kind of devices as well. So there's there's different things for different needs, I would say. It's, it's just being aware of like what your personal preferences are and then what your goals are as well. Yeah, and I don't know what it's called now, but it's the new Amazon product that doesn't 
it's just going to scan you, isn't it? Uh, scan your oh, body yeah. movements. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know what, what it's called now, but um, there's a little bit of a, oh, that's clever. Oh, hang on, that's a bit creepy. Are they going to, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Whatever other information <laughs> are they going to be collecting? Um, yeah, probably leave it there. Um, so, so this is an interesting area in terms of your observations. You use the word learning. You, you, you wanted to learn during this period. And, and I think that's interesting for people to listen into, tune into, because I think one of the experiences that I've heard from a lot of users is frustration or that they've responded badly to the, the information. Um, so an example might be an Oura Ring app, and it's presenting several red bars of poor REM sleep. Well, we know it doesn't really measure REM sleep that well, but it's telling me that it wasn't, I didn't do so well. And now I'm a bit frustrated because I actually feel okay. Um, did you track your mood in response to the information or did you track at that sort of sense of the, the, or the dissonance between data and, and your own lived experience? Yeah, that was one of the experiments that I did slightly differently to what um, you shared there. But before I opened the app in the morning, I would do a bit of that check in with myself, body okay. scan, try and give myself on the same scale, zero to 100. Where do I perceive my recovery being today based on how I feel, based on everything you know I know I've done in the last 24 hours? And then I would note that down Then I would open the app, see what the score was. And I did that for about six to eight weeks, I think. And that was where I saw about 50% of the time it was within 10, 10 points. The rest of the time it wasn't. And that was where some of those parameters around like the delayed onset muscle soreness were true, or it hadn't maybe hadn't properly captured what I'd done in a day because it hadn't picked up the heart rate properly, those, those kinds of things. And so I saw like quite a, quite a strong discrepancy there on, on some of those days. And it really, it almost led me to think about the right approach for me when I'm looking at these data, which isn't necessarily opening the app, looking at the recommendations that the, the company is providing. It more came back to thinking about how I would try and, or how we would typically try and use those data in the sports science world with elite athletes and apply that approach to myself, whereby one of the things I would do would be to look at what's my normal range for these parameters when am I straying outside of that? Instead of saying it's high or it's low, looking at the change for me compared to my personal baseline and looking at long-term trends in that. So maybe looking at like a seven-day rolling average rather than, oh, it's high today or it's low today. That just could be like part of an error in a, in a, in a measurement or just being very sensitive to one event. And so trying to take more of that like I guess elite athlete approach to my own data because it wasn't being provided for me in 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 these apps and so that comes from my I guess understanding and questioning through this learning process but also just not be not I guess not being afraid to stray from some of the recommendations that are being provided and not taking it as as the holy grail but more interrogating it myself. I might come back to that idea of why on earth don't the apps do that? But um, <laughs> because that's such a big opportunity. I will come back to that. But but you mentioned there a couple of references to delayed onset of muscle soreness and how that 
that was a symptom that you're experiencing from your exercise. But the the sensors and the wearable devices weren't picking up that and showing you in terms of a global readiness score, for example. Um, so that was something that you found was perhaps a limitation. You mentioned earlier that you were so you were looking at the information and thinking maybe I'm not quite tuning into my myself too. Um, is, it, is there anything you discovered that you became more uh, aware of and better at sensing about your own symptoms? Yeah, and I mean, just to think about where that came from, it was something I'd observed in my work with athletes that often the top athletes that I'd worked yeah. with, they were able to tell when they were tired almost, you know, before anyone else would tell them or you know they weren't quite ready to do a particular training set on that day even if their data wasn't necessarily saying that and so I sort of held that as a kind of gold standard of like okay perhaps this is something you can learn and and train in yourself over time and I think some of the things that I learned on that process were where I was having to add or record context to the data I was seeing so if I didn't have a good night's sleep let's say or it took me a while to fall asleep I thought about, okay, what did I do in that evening beforehand or the the day beforehand to set that up? And I started to see some patterns in terms of if I would eat, you know, close to going to bed or if I I would eat particular things. I think for me, it tended to be if something was like quite salty, uh, I would throw my hydration balance off and then I would see a poorer night's sleep. And these apps aren't necessarily providing you a space to do that right now or kind of a cohesive platform to connect those dots. That was something that I had to do for myself in terms of like being quite diligent around those behaviors and connecting the data. So it is possible to do. And I imagine that's where the kind of software will go in the future. Um, I think it's just, again, that process of being like using the data to pay attention, I think, and looking at long-term trends um, rather than those individual values where, you know, there are lots of parameters, you wouldn't necessarily be able to connect one behavior to one set of data. It was only over a number of weeks or months that I was able to do that. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, we will talk about the future in a moment. But the that idea of creating behavior change, um, mm. working with athletes to try and capture information such as sleep um, with a ring or a, a something on their wrist and then asking them to, to measure on a tracking GPS on a, with a Garmin. So another device, there are the, these little friction points that make it a little bit annoying that we've got to use our sort of persuasive powers to get this across the line. And that then when it, I have to coach the athletes not to look at the apps, sync, sync your information to the app, but don't look at the app. I'll give you feedback. Um, that's that's uh, that's a bit of a gripe at the moment in terms of well, I look at it and I get I get a bit depressed. Um, I, it strikes me that in terms of their capacity to create better sleep, better training, create behaviour change in a positive, healthy, meaningful, purposeful, enriching way, it seems quite limited at the moment uh, about what these devices can do and the technical validity is all very good and well and that sort of search for quality information but for me I'm always just interested in the so what mm-hmm. 
what are we doing with the information? How are we actually conversing with the athletes? How are we creating appetite for them to make changes in their their daily routines to actually improve? What's your sense of the your observations of where the apps are at the moment and where they could go? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting one. Um, and I think there are a few different paths, some of which could be contained within the software themselves, some of which could be an advantage of a human, a coach or a sports scientist looking at the data in certain ways. So for the apps themselves, some of them I've started to see, they would include something like a dark mode within them where you could turn off the ability to see the data. You could sync it within the app, but right. you wouldn't necessarily have to see the score. But then to use that one, like to flip it on its head as an example of how we might be able to use it to support athletes. For example, as a, a, a sports scientist or a coach, let, let's say you almost be, are able to ingrain this behavior in an athlete whereby they sync their data, they see they've had a poor night's sleep, yet they're able to go onto the training field or the, the competition field and still perform well. And so there you have another data point that shows an athlete, even if your scores are bad, you can improve, you can perform well. And so you're almost able to build perhaps a new level of confidence in them that they're able to perform no matter what and almost create this sense of resilience, perhaps, that even if, you know, they've they've had a poor buildup, they they can still perform, you know, very well. And so I think there are some potential advantages to be able to build some of the, the skills and qualities in athletes that we want, depending on the lens through which we view the data and using it as a tool for our purposes, rather than necessarily the purposes that the app might might want you to use it for. Mm. I think, I think at the very least, the um, blunt presentation of data is, uh, I guess, limiting for athlete engagement. It just presents the data back, mm-hmm. like like I know, like like anybody knows what sleep fragmentation is you ought to go and research that unfortunately i do that sort of thing for a job but (laughs) but to expect athletes or everyday um health fitness uh enthusiasts to to be able to start to decode i think a lot of the information um that to me feels like a big opportunity of of being able to sort of prioritize Mm. your sleep efficiency is probably more important than the, the number of times you woke up for example or um or the time it's that almost, you um, went to counterintuitive went to i think because i guess you'll know from working with athletes a lot of what we try and do is almost present the most important metrics yeah. to them that they're trying to work on versus presenting everything and then just creating more noise and so that can be another advantage of using something like a dark mode but as a as a sports scientist or as an individual working with with folks with these data, pulling the data into another platform where you're able to decide what you present or what you focus on. And that could be, again, dependent on goals during particular periods. That's something I've started to hear people doing more of and other folks building apps who like use an API to pull from these devices to create something perhaps more useful or more meaningful to folks in, in that space. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Um, and what's your sense of of the the trends? Where's this Where's this going? Because it feels like it, this is early doors in this. We've just sort of got started. We've got the car. We've got the engine. We don't know what the routes are, what the holidays are, what the destinations could be. 
um, it doesn't feel like we're there yet. What's what's your sense of the whether from a technological trend point of view, um, or or the development of the interface? What what do you think? Yeah, there are certainly a few trends. I think um, one of the most interesting ones that we've touched on is the improvement in the software or the understanding from the data that we have, be that through AI looking at kind of personalized trends in big data or be that through humans looking at the data in different ways and using it to really understand individuals. So I think that's there's a huge space there, an education space to be improved on. And then I think there's, almost, there's also a lot on the hardware side as well, whereby one of the most interesting ones will be new variables that we'll be able to measure. So imagine being able to measure kind of continuous blood lactate in real time, no need to take blood samples anymore. And then imagine being able to see those variables on a TV screen when you watch athletes racing in the Tour de France, for example. And then imagine being able to have different kinds of um, form factors displaying those values in real time. So one of the ones I've seen is it's um, a color changing tattoo that changes color based on the numbers of, of a variable that's measuring. So imagine being able to see the leader in the Tour de France is, has this tattoo, it's green, their lactate is three. The chaser has a tattoo, it's blue, their lactate is seven, for example. You can start to fill in the gaps in terms of where these athletes might be. It, may, it would give a whole different spin on commentary, fan engagement, for example, and potentially a whole different world for sports scientists to step into in terms of being able to commentate on these sporting events and just change the narrative a little bit. So there'll be new variables, I think. There'll be new ways in which they're used from a fan engagement perspective. I think there'll also be more of these form factors that are more invisible. So it could be a tattoo, for example. Another one I've seen is smart contact lenses. Another one that has been talked about quite a bit is sort of implantable chips and those kind of things, which obviously comes with a bunch of other mm. considerations. But I think um, the likelihood is that that's where the technology will start to go. Another trend that I think is is coming and is potentially pretty good across the board will be the lack of need to charge these things anymore. They'll potentially use solar power or they'll use mm. the energy, the heat from our own bodies to, to charge them. And so, yeah, we may not we may not need to charge them anymore. And so I think there are a lot of different things that will happen on the hardware and software sides that will change how we interact with them and potentially also change the way that um, things like our, our sports um, govern themselves and how different competitions um, are run and things like that. So I think there are considerations at the individual level and then at the kind of sporting governing body level as well. Mm. Some interesting trends there. Um, that's quite committed. You've got to get a tattoo done before you compete. Um, or is it a stick-on thing? Or is it like a nanotechnology? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah there are there are both. There's almost the skin-like tattoos, but then maybe there's the, the, the potential that, you know, many athletes have tattoos these days. What's to say there can be a dynamic or adaptive, interactive one? I think there'll be different versions, essentially. And, you know, I'm not talking about like one, two years in the future. We're talking about five, 10, 20 years in the future, things that um, potentially we, we might want to anticipate being part of our of our world's that will, that will made an, another uh, characteristic to the complaining about other people pushing too hard in the group ride at the weekend. 
Um, look at my tattoo. It's burning red or something. Um, I need some help. Um, I think that, that you, you touch on that idea about the, the it producing more information. I've seen smart socks uh, talked about where it, it sits it sits in your sock, the sensors, and it tells you, gives you more accuracy around speed, distance, pace, cadence, etc. But it, I guess it just throws up that other question of again, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do yeah. with that information? And that that in itself brings me sort of full circle to this this idea about wearables, about this concept of of automatic interpretation or some sort of enhanced engagement with sports scientists to make sense of it. And that, this this feels like an open door here for sports scientists to be able to support people, not because you live in the same um, area and that you go to the same training center, but your athletes are going to be quantified wherever they are in the world. And you're going to have a really good picture about what they did they're in the, the external load and the internal response to that. And you could, you can open the world to your support. Yeah. And I think um, you'll also have a sense of that behavior change loop in terms of you as a sports scientist, potentially making suggestions or trying interventions, how you measured them, how you were able to discern whether there was a positive effect or not, whether any sort of um, ways in which you were able to help athletes make positive behavior changes, help them create habit loops, th- those kinds of things, which I think, you know, those are those things can be extrapolated to the broader population at large, even if they are focused on something completely different. What are those, I guess, more generic principles that you take from the athlete world and apply more broadly, knowing that, that they folks in the kind of general population probably have more headway or more scope for improvement so the opportunity is perhaps even even mm. broader even larger so what's your next ex- personal experiment what's what's the next thing that you're uh, wandering around with wearing dragging devices behind with you it's a good question i would say i i, I would be open to uh, some new hypotheses i'm certainly interested to try i thought you're going to ask for a new treadmill then <laughs> <laughs> i'd be open for uh, a nice uh, cushioned treadmill in the garage <laughs> well if, if you're if you're offering I suppose, okay, I we'll, see. Say no. we'll see what comes um, up yeah there are a few interesting new sensors that i've been taking a look at and and trying out so yeah always open to to new technology and i guess for, first steps as as we talked about would be kind of just testing like validity against gold standard devices and then reliability repeatability over time and then starting to dig into like oh, if I make some changes or interventions, what do I see in, in these data? And um, yeah. how, do I ma- how do I make sense of that? So just broadly thinking about that process as it relates to, to new devices. And a bit of a segue to, to the fact that you're our performance analysis course tutor, but, but it, was, it probably links quite specifically to maybe the bit of, of um, observation about the information that you put out onto social media. And it was probably a few years ago now that I just thought, oh, yeah, Sean's creating some great content. But also that you were able to communicate the story behind the information, which to me is the art of that an- an- analysis. Um, 
that to me seems central to what you do that okay well this 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 went on but here's a story about what happened um the, the that you're weaving that that blending of your data analysis with the with the information and that probably motivated me to sort of go oh sean would you come on board and do a do a course for us uh, and uh, to to create that um besides me nagging you um because I just sort of left you to your own devices, but but what was your motivation behind the lessons that you pulled together? I think it was somewhat what we've been speaking about in terms of seeing that everyone in the world and in a smaller bubble, everyone in sports science now has access to so much data, no matter what your role is. You might be a psychologist, a nutritionist, a coach. In the past, perhaps data was sort of held within, you know, folks who were specifically within the performance analysis realm. But now almost seeing the need for more kind of data literacy and, and fluency in anyone within that sports science um, world. So I sort of took the lens to it of if you are anyone who's trying to improve performance and you're working with data, you are a performance analyst. What are those data skills that you need to be able to move from just having knowledge, information, awareness of these data to actual tangible impact in terms of behavior change? And thinking about that in terms of how could I create resources that would help people perhaps be a little bit less wrong in those decisions or just making them feel like they're able to make decisions that are a bit more informed by those data. And also knowing what to look for is a really interesting thing, but even helping people knowing what to not look for, what to ignore and what are some of those questions or principles that you can ask to help improve your process and just thinking about it in terms of those simple steps such that what I create would be applicable to those who are deep and heavy in the data in terms of performance analysis, but also those who are perhaps more involved a little bit more tangentially with data, but feel it touching their work. What are some of those data literacy skills that can help them even have a stronger impact in their work? Um, Knowing that everyone in some sense is a performance analyst if you're trying to improve performance and, and you work in sport. Yeah, I mean, a cheeky benefit of hosting the course is that I've watched it a couple of times now um, because I thought, oh, what's that that Sean mentioned? Uh, obviously, we've sort of watched all the lessons through, and I've loved it because it's and and I'm I'm glad that we talked to you about creating the course because it's not just that oh, here's how to present distance covered in a game. Um, it's it's first principles then how do you then manage the information? How do you create insight? And how do you then uh, present it to to people who could benefit? So it's been, as you say, it's been really interesting to, to observe, actually. It's not just the performance analysts that have caught on, caught on to it. It's other scientists, too, that have thought, actually, you know what, I need to improve in this area. Before, before um, I suppose, AI takes over, what can I upgrade my skills on so that I'm able to make an impact and interpret in a different way. Yeah, that was definitely one of my core motivations as well, thinking about what is it that you're taught in the textbooks and what are you not taught in the textbooks? And how can I bring in some of those principles, some of those questions, some of those mental models or ways of thinking about data to help people perhaps look at it a bit differently? Because that's truly where, or at least I've seen, your um, competitive advantage to be created. because. At the end of the day, everyone probably has very similar data sets. 
what will distinguish you or your team or your athlete from the others is the way that you're able to look at it, the way that you're able to use it and the way that you're able to turn it into action and behavior change, which isn't necessarily what is in the textbooks, in the university courses, in the university lectures. And so that was really the lens that I wanted to bring to it, as well as um, each each lesson or, or most of the lessons have tangible tools that go with them. So the Excel spreadsheets that are part of each lesson the intention behind those is to really give people kind of a kickstart or a head start yeah. on those tools that are like ready to go and ready to put their own data, their own numbers into to um, really kind of give them, yeah, that that jump start on some of those some of those lessons. Whereby, you know, if, if you don't necessarily have any coding tools or any skills in anything like that, you can take those templates and and use them to kind of get straight into doing some of this kind of data interpretation, data analysis work. And that really came from like my experience learning um, and always finding it easier to learn and pick something up when you have a tangible example with data that you understand and relate to. And then you can put your own numbers in and and see like, oh, right. Yeah, this is ready to go, basically. So yeah. there's a few there are a few um, pieces of it that I wanted to create that hopefully really help people move from that knowledge information overload all the way through to be able to pass the signal from the noise in these these giant data sets that people are um, tackling. Yeah. And, and in a tool that like, like Excel that everyone's got access to rather than Tableau or SPSS, where you've got to, you've got to do another degree to learn some of those. Um, yeah, or, or exactly. Yourself. Intended to be accessible to everyone, knowing that that won't be the finish line for everyone, but hopefully it can be a nice starting point for everyone. And um, we've had a great, great response to it. So, you know, thank you for, for putting it together and um, we'll put details in the in the show notes. But Sean, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. I've mentioned your Twitter feed several times. If people aren't following you, then, then um, people can get on that. What's your Twitter handle so people can, can follow along? <laughs> it's Dr. Sean Allen. So D-R Sean Allen. Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Sean. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. This was great. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I really hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. And we've got plenty more to come. So if you'd like to support and champion us, then take the time to subscribe and leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever you tune in. You can also give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. All the links are in the show notes. So in the meantime, have a great week. Thank you.